0: Right, well go go for your Bibles and of course go for them in a big way. Let's let's just pray before we start <clears throat> Father, we pray that you'll lead us now as we turn to your word. Lord, we pray that <clears throat> that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher. And Lord that you'll give us clarity and understanding. Lord that we'll benefit from what your word teaches. Lord, just be with us now, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> right, well, <clears throat> we, we come tonight to the first of two talks, and in these two talks, I'm going to answer the following question, should Christians tithe their money? And that really, the subject that we're going to be dealing with is giving, but I've put it, like titled it, should Christians tithe, because this is a tremendously misunderstood area of the Bible's teaching amongst Christians. And the standard teaching that tends to go out is that Christians should tithe, that there is a mandate upon us that it is compulsory to give a tenth of our money, everything that we have. And the idea of this, because tithing means a tenth, that is what the word means, all right? And it's the same, the Hebrew word for tithe means a tenth, the Greek word for tithe means a tenth. So this is where this whole thing, tithing, giving a tenth of our income. But of course, when you have a statement like that, that you've got to give a tenth of what you have, Uh, All kinds of questions are raised and people write books about them and argue the toss. For instance, is it before or after tax? Does one take out capital expenses? Can you see? So what we're going to do is, in these talks, all will be revealed, alright, and we'll sort this out. Now, in doing it, we've got to look at three distinct periods of biblical history. We're going to look at what the Bible taught about giving before the time of the law. So we're going to be looking from the time of the creation up to the time of Moses. With Moses came the law, God's law to Israel. So that's the second period we're going to look at. And then the third period of history will be the church age, i.e. from Pentecost onwards. And that we're going to find out what does the Bible teach about giving, to tithe or not to tithe, that is the question. Whether it is noble, oh sorry, no, they're the wrong. (laughs) Right, now, the the first thing, let's have a look before the law. So let's find, this is before the law of Moses. If you go to Genesis, Genesis chapter 4, and what we're going to be asking, what did God teach in regards to giving? all right to his people before the law of moses was around now in genesis 4 verses 3 and 4 let's read this now this is cain and abel in the course of time cain brought to the lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and abel brought of his, the firstlings of his flock, his flock oh dear, do you think we better start this again, and Abel put the wrong teeth in Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, now here we've got the first occasion in the Bible when people give to God because they are following him or in fact Cain wasn't, but Abel was, and I want you to notice that God doesn't stipulate what the giving should be at all can you see there is no statement there of how much they should have given they just kind of came and they decided Uh, if you go to Genesis chapter 8 and have a look at Noah Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20 and this is after the flood right and it says then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar now can you see that here are early references in the Bible if you like to giving giving to the Lord now these guys weren't giving money because this was before the monetary system started to develop we're in the very early ages of human civilization but the point was they are giving of what they've got and notice that there is nothing stipulated here at all if one is asked What does God say about giving you can't learn anything from this no amount or proportion is stipulated at all Now if you go over to Genesis 14, we're going to look at one of the verses whereby the teaching has arisen that Christians have got to give a tenth and we're going to have a look at uh, the time when Abraham met up with this this really weird guy called Melchizedek, alright. Now Genesis 14 and verse 17 to 20 and we read this. Now <clears throat> Abraham has just had a fight with all these kings you see and he's beaten them all up and he's won because God was with him, alright. After his return, that's Abraham, after his return from the defeat of Kedor Laomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek king of Salem so this other king king of Salem came out to meet him he was uh, and he brought bread and wine he was priest of God Most High so this guy Melchizedek is a priest and he blessed him and said blessed be Abraham by God Most High maker of heaven and earth and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand." So what's happened here is that Abraham has had a wonderful victory. The Lord has fought for him. Melchizedek, who was a priest of God, turns up and he meets Abraham and he gives them a prophecy to it, And he confirms that God is with Abraham. He said, Abraham, you know, blessed by God Most High. But also he says, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So one of the reasons that Melchizedek has been sent by God is that right at the beginning to to remind Abraham that it wasn't by his strength or anything that the victory was won. It was purely God blessing him. So this was to prevent Abraham getting a big head or anything like that. Because of course in the Bible it says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And nothing of the Christian life is of us and, and Melchizedek goes out to remind Abraham that the glory goes to God because it wasn't by anything that Abraham had done you know not by might power not by brains not by charm anything like that by the spirit and if you think about it it's got to be like that because if it was like charm people like me would have none for advantage and of course God uh, you know sort of goes no respect for persons so uh, I, I chucked that in that that went down like a lump of lead didn't it there's right, some more jokes coming later so don't wait but you see the point is that here Abraham is confronted by this priest who has been sent by God and Melchizedek prophesies to Abraham now look at what Abraham did and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything Abraham gave him a tenth of everything so Abraham's response was to give him literally a tithe because a tenth is a tithe And this is one of the verses where people say, the Bible teaches that you've got to give a tenth. But what I want you to notice is this, Melchizedek didn't ask for a tenth. And God didn't tell Abraham to give him a tenth. (coughs) Abraham, of his own free will, simply decided to give him a tenth alright now we're going to be back to Melchizedek later but the thing that I want you to understand here Abraham gives him a tenth but not because he was told to not because Melchizedek asked but simply because Abraham decided to do it and if you go through Abraham's life you will find that there is no more mention of Abraham tithing whatsoever in the whole of the rest of his life go to Genesis chapter 28 have a look at Jacob and again this is one of the other verses that people use to say Christians have to tithe they have to give a tenth and in Genesis 28 starting at verse 18 and in actual fact we're going to be looking at Jacob's conversion this is when Jacob became a believer now verse 18 we read this so Jacob rose early in the morning and he took the stone which he had put under his head, and set it up for a pillar, and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying..." Now, he went to bed the night before, and he had this dream, and through the dream he became a believer. Alright? So he's woken up the next morning, now he's a follower of the Lord. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and all that thou givest me, I will give the tenth to thee. Now can you see here, Jacob says, Lord, I am going to give a tenth. Of everything I've got to you because I am following you now again I want you to notice at no point here does God require Jacob to do this and I want you to remember as well that Jacob was Abraham's grandson alright so Jacob knew much about his grandfather's life now look what Jacob is, is doing because when you read the story of Jacob, I mean he he was a real he was a real con man. Jacob was, and it took twenty years of him being a believer for God to eventually really bring him into line, uh, so that he was faithful. And Jacob's life life story was one of wheeling and dealing and ducking and diving. In fact, the actual name Jacob in Hebrew it means supplanter. It means a deceiver someone who worms his way underneath and dislodges what is yours and takes it for himself and can you see that what's happening here he's just got converted and that is absolutely genuine but he's bargaining with god and what he does is he says right god if you do this 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 and this for me then i will do that 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 and that for you and one of the things i will do lucky god is, I will give you a tenth of everything. Now, can you see that this is simply Jacob. He's got converted. He's saying, here I am, Lord. And already he's doing his thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's entered into a business partnership with the Lord. And one of the conditions upon which he's going to serve God is that God blesses him. And in return, he is going to give God a tenth of everything he's got. But notice, again, that God doesn't require it in any way at all. Now, what, he's, what is he doing here? Well, he's, he's simply copying Abraham. He he probably remembered that Abraham once gave a tenth to the priest. So he is thinking, right, I'd better give a tenth to God. But nowhere does God ask for it. And also, if you go through the rest of the story of Jacob's life, you will not find any more mention of him tithing. So therefore, what I'm concluding here, is that you cannot, from any of these verses, say that the Bible teaches that you ought to give a tenth of everything you have to God. And in fact, before the law, before the time of Moses, there is only one example in the Old Testament of compulsory giving. And if you turn to Genesis 47, we'll actually see what it was. Genesis 47. And this is an actual fact concerning Joseph. You remember how Joseph became a slave and he ended up in Egypt but he worked his way to the top and eventually he became the Prime Minister, Pharaoh's number two as it were. And that the Lord had shown Pharaoh and Joseph that there were going to be seven really good years, you know, when there, you know, can be plenty of harvest and then there were going to be seven years of famine. And Pharaoh appoints Joseph as kind of to be over the land to administrate the land so that, it, so that Egypt would have enough food in hand when the seven years of famine came. Now in Genesis 47 verse 23 we have this Then Joseph said to the people behold I have this day brought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is the seed for you and you shall sow the land. And at the harvests you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh and four fifths shall be your own. So that here what we've got is that Joseph is actually saying to the people, you must give a fifth, not a tenth, but a fifth. But again, you've got to understand that what's happening here is that we're seeing a tax system being imposed on Egypt. Because Israel isn't a proper nation yet, alright, they haven't been constituted as a nation, there's not enough of them at this point. So here, this compulsory giving is nothing to do with giving to God because you're following him. It's simply a tax system that Joseph is instituting over Egypt, and it happens to be a fifth, alright. So what we're seeing here is that, in actual fact, in the time of history before the law of moses there is no set teaching given in giving given in the bible in any way at all for how much believers ought to give away of what they have can you see we've established no precedent whatsoever and we certainly haven't seen that it's tithing giving a tenth Right, so there's the first period. Let's now move on and have a look at Israel under the law. Because you remember, eventually, Israel became a nation. And then through Moses, God gave them the law, which constituted the way that they were to organize themselves and live as a nation before God. So that now, in the law, through Moses, we have Israel being constituted as a nation with a government and the law was the way in which Israel was to govern themselves now what we're going to see is that under the Mosaic law in Israel the whole subject of giving took two different forms the first form was tithing and we're going to see that that was compulsory all right And we're going to see that the second aspect of Israel giving money was free will offerings and we're going to see that as the phrase defines that they were free will they weren't compulsory in any way at all so first of all let's have a look at the tithing system that God instituted into Israel and the first thing that you've got to understand is that the tithing system under the law of Moses was not a tenth Now you might be thinking well that's that's nutty because you've already told us that tithing means a tenth and now you're saying that Israel's tithing wasn't a tenth what on earth is all this about well what you need to understand is that the tithing system in the law of Moses comprised of three separate tithes which compounded and that the way they did it was this every year there were two tithes that you had to pay And then every third year, there was a third tithe, alright? So, taking it in cycles of three years, year one, there would be two tithes. Year two, there would be two tithes. But year three, there would be three tithes, alright? And we're going to see that when you add that lot together on a yearly average, tithing in Israel under the law was either 23 and a third percent or 25 and a third percent, and I'll explain why, there's a discrepancy there in a few moments. But what you need to understand at this point is that tithing in Israel under the law was mandatory on all the inhabitants of Israel, not just the Jews, but anyone who lived in Israel and therefore under the government of Israel, everyone had to pay these tithes. Now, our country, Great Britain, is a democracy administered by a government. That is our constitution, if you like. The difference is with Israel, is that Israel was a theocracy administered by a priesthood. So what we have today is that our nation is governed by laws which are determined by a government that we elect, a democracy. But the whole idea that God had for the nation of Israel is that they were to be a theocracy, and a theocracy, theos God. A theocracy is where God is your king, alright? So you're not being governed by anyone that people elect they were being governed by God himself who decided the way that the country ought to be run. And God run, ran that country not through a government but he governed it through a priesthood. So that therefore, in Israel, the temple or the tabernacle, the big they started off with a big tent that was kind of portable, and then when they settled in the land, they had a temple. And what you've got to understand is that in Israel, the tabernacle or the temple was 10 Downing Street and the Chancellor of Exchequer rolled into one because the priests were the one who carried out the government of the land. And that what we're going to see is that tithing in Israel under the Mosaic Law was in fact their tax system, it was their rates, and it was their national insurance contributions all rolled into one. And we're going to see this now first of all if you go to numbers 18 and we're going to look at each one of these three tithes remember there was two tithes every year but every third year there was a third tithe and we're going to look at these in turn if you find numbers chapter 18 we're going to have a look at the first one tithe number one numbers 18 and verse 24 and we read this for the tithe of the people of israel which they present as an offering to the lord i have given to the levites for an inheritance therefore i have said of them that they shall have no inheritance among the people of israel now this tithe was called the lord's tithe or the Levites' tithe, alright? And we've seen there that they had to give a tenth to the Levites. If you go to Leviticus, which is the book before Numbers, Leviticus chapter 27, and we'll see another place where this tithe is mentioned, Leviticus 27 and verse 30. And we read this. All the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem any of his tithe, and what that means is convert it into money. Now, they had the option, they could either tithe their actual possessions and goods, or they could tithe money. All right. And what it's saying here is that if anyone decided to tithe in money, i.e. sell their goods and then tithe the cash, then they would have to add a fifth to it. So the point is that what you've got here, the tithe was 10% in goods or 12.5% if you paid it in cash. All right. And all the tithe of the herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. So what you've got here, is that this tithe, (laughs) the Lord's tithe, or the Levites tithe, the idea of it was, it was 10% in goods, or 12% in cash. And it provided the priesthood with their wages. Because when God took Israel into the Promised Land, the priests who were of the tribe of Levi, God didn't give them any land of their own. They didn't have any private property, because their full-time job was serving the Lord and serving the people, and also administering the nation as well. Therefore, the Levites had no way to earn a living, because they didn't have any land, and their time was all taken up in serving the Lord and administering the land. So therefore, the priests, if you like, were not just priests, they were the country's civil servants and this tithe was given to them and it was their wages, alright. This tithe was God's people providing for the full-time ministries amongst them, remembering that today we have civil servants Israel had a priesthood all right they were running administering or governing the country So there's tithe number one and it was paid 10% in goods or 12% if you redeemed it or turned it into cash Right tithe two go to Deuteronomy chapter 14 Deuteronomy chapter 14 and this one is what was called the festal tithe now festal means pertaining to a feast and this will make sense in a few moments Deuteronomy 14 verse 22 and it says you shall tithe all the yield of your seed which comes forth from the field year by year and before the Lord your God in the place which he will choose to make his name dwell there you shall eat the tithe of your grain of your wine, of your oil, and the firstlings of your herd and flock, that you may always learn to fear the Lord your God. And if the way is too long for you, so that you are not able to bring the tithe, when the Lord your God blesses you, because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money, bind up the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire oxen sheep wine strong drink whatever your appetite craves and there you shall eat before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household and you shall not forsake the Levite who is within your towns for he has no portion or inheritance with you now what you've got here is this that yearly there was a feast before the Lord in Jerusalem and these feasts meant that you went there the whole nation came to Jerusalem the holy city and there was a massive celebration before the Lord a big feast now what this tithe is for is this it was provision for you and your family to be able to make it to the feast so the point was all the food that you would need, you actually took it out of your herds. So you laid aside a tenth of everything you had so that you could get you, your, you know, your family and also your local Levite down to Jerusalem to partake of the feast. And what happened was that for the people who had a a real long way to go, because remember in those days, I mean, even 50 miles was, I mean, that was major hassle. It wasn't like jumping in the car or jumping on the train. So therefore, I mean, for them to travel all that way with all their chickens and their pigs and all the stuff that they're going to drink at the festival, um, you know, all their vats of wine and everything like that, obviously there was no way that they could get it there. So therefore, what they had to do was to sell those things And then use the money for traveling expenses and then once they got to the feast with that money they could buy all the food and all the wine and everything they needed in order to celebrate in the feast before the Lord so can you see that this second tithe that they had to do this second tenth was to enable them to Well, it was their expenses so that they could go down and have this slap-up meal feast in Jerusalem before the Lord and of course the reason for these feasts was that remember Israel was a theocracy it was a nation of people whose king was God himself and this national celebration because that's what it was the whole country coming together this national celebration what it was it was to keep the nation realising that they were a theocracy and that they were serving God alright and that in some what it was doing is that It promoted their their national identity as being God's people. Because at least once a year, every year, they would come together for a massive celebration before the Lord. And it promoted their identity so they knew who they were. And also it promoted their unity together as the people of God. And this tithe was so that all of them, could afford to partake of that feast and uh, I mean this this thing I mean let's let's have a look he says when you get there spend the money so he's speaking now to those who have got too far to travel to bring the goods so they're bringing the money and and the Lord says to them that when you get there spend the money for whatever you desire oxen sheep wine strong drink whatever your appetite craves and there you shall eat before the Lord your God and rejoice now that is what worship is worship is a party worship is coming together to really celebrate that the Lord is amongst us now this isn't spiritual enough for some people I'm afraid and you do meet Christians that the Bible just isn't spiritual enough for them that's why they're always spiritualizing it I mean they'd want to take passages like that and spiritualize it for for spiritual food and growing in the Lord none of it this is literal food they came together and they had a party before the Lord they ate they drank they had a really good time and that is exactly what God wants us to do it's a party and Jesus is the guest of honour so that therefore we see this second tithe was that God was determined that everyone would be able to afford to make that celebration to join in the party and to be there to worship him Right, so that's tithe number two, the festal tithe. Now let's now look at this third tithe. And remember, this third tithe was every third year, alright? Uh, you should be in Deuteronomy 14, alright? And now we want verse 28. Now let's read this, verse 28 to the end. And at the end of every three years, see this is the tithe that comes every three years, you shall bring forth all the tithe of your produce in the same year, and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, and the fatherless, and the widow, who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Now this tithe, that came every third year, again we see it was for the Levites, because the Levites had no way of earning their living, they had other work to do, and this was how they got paid. So this tithe is for the Levites as well, but also it's for the poor. And you see in Israel, here you've got the poor, the sojourner, that's the foreigner, the alien, because under the law of Israel, aliens were welcomed I'm not talking about alien as in, uh, you know, sort of like bursting out of John Hurt's stomach. I mean, I'm talking about, um, I'm talking about uh, sort of foreigners. But foreigners were welcomed in Israel and treated well and had many rights under the law. But foreigners were not allowed to have private property in Israel. Again, this prevented the nation being taken over from the inside. So the foreigner the fatherless, and the widow, these were people who couldn't fend for themselves, they couldn't look after themselves, they were the poor. And this tithe was laid aside, and it was given to them. And so that what you have here, is that you have their social security system. This third tithe were the national insurance contributions. And it was distributed amongst the poor, so that those who had enough, shared their excess with those who didn't have enough, alright? And so, therefore, you've got the, uh, you know, the social security system. Go to chapter 26, again in Deuteronomy, chapter 26 and verse 12. And again, this talks about the same tithe. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, giving it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that they may eat within your towns and be filled, then you shall say before the Lord, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house, and moreover I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all thy commandments. And what you've got here is that this contribution to the needs of the poor was called the sacred portion portion now if something is sacred it's because it's set apart to the Lord and you mustn't touch it and here it says I have removed the sacred portion and given it to the poor what it's saying is that they're recognizing that that part of their money does not even belong to them it's sacred to the Lord and it must be given to the poor so that those who weren't as well off and fortunate as others were catered for and cared for in the nations of israel so that therefore we see that god's heart in looking after the poor and the needy is quite simply this those who have enough ought to share it out with those who do not and god considers it a sacred portion to do it. And remember, we're looking here at a nation's government, alright? We're looking here at the fact that Israel is a theocracy governed by a priesthood, and that this was the social security system, alright? If you like, the dole, the sickness benefit, whatever. And God calls it a sacred portion. And I must say, because I think it's important that we are all the time applying the truth of God's Word into the general situation in which we live. And certainly it must be said that the government of this country is not honouring God in reducing benefits to those who are poor. Now having said that, it is excellent that they are bringing down taxes. Because, as we're going to see, the tax in Israel was about 25%. High taxes are wrong, alright, there's no question of that. It penalises those who are well off, and that is wrong. But what is equally important is that wealth is shared out so that those at the bottom of the pile always have enough because they're getting at least a cut from those who have got more than they actually need. And our nation is not going to be blessed by God if we actually do. And I mean the truth of what's happening now. And what I'm saying is not party political. It's not a party political thing. But the truth of the matter is, at the moment, that people who are well off are becoming far better off. And the people who have paid for it are the poor. Because tax handouts have been given to the well-off, and that money has actually come, it's been docked off the benefits of those at the bottom of the pile. Now that is not God's will, this is not a party political point, I'm not speaking socialism, the Bible doesn't speak socialism, but can you see the importance to God that his people, Israel, cared for the poor and looked after those who for whatever reason were not able to look after themselves. But I emphasise again, that if one's going to apply these things, however loosely, into our own society, that we can certainly see from the Bible, that as far as God's concerned, high taxes are also not a good thing. So in that sense, that is good, what our present government has done. Mrs Thatcher has got taxes down. That is good. But the fact that the safety net is being removed is bad. And in Israel, we see that the system was, there were low taxes, so there wasn't a disincentive to hard work. But also, those at the bottom of the pile were more than adequately cared for. And in fact, it was more than just this tithe. Because in actual fact, under the law, if you had a field, whatever you were growing in it, wheat, grapes, you name it, you know, mangoes, I don't know if they grow mangoes in Israel, you know, sort of cauliflowers, whatever it was, at certain times of the year, after a harvest had been reaped so many times on a field, it then had to lay fallow, so that the poor could help themselves. Also, under the law of Israel, that when a farmer went out to harvest, when he'd done his harvesting, anything that had fallen off, like apples lying on the ground, they belonged to the poor, they did not belong to the farmer. Now, can you see this equitable system that God had in Israel? So then, what have we seen? We have seen that under the law, this whole thing about the tenth, or tithing, we have seen that it is Israel's tax rogering. Alright, and we've seen that it works out on a yearly average of 23 and a third percent if the first tithe is in goods or 25 and a third percent if the first tithe was in cash. Alright, so this was Israel's tax regime and it was mandatory upon everybody who was in Israel, everyone who lived in Israel. So also, let me just remind you that at the time before the law as well, the only example we saw of mandatory giving was when Joseph was like Prime Minister over Egypt. There was compulsory giving then, but again it was tax. Can you see the principle that we're seeing? that tax is compulsory giving. So then, that was tithing, the first way in which Israel had to give money. And it was their tax system. Let's move on now to the second aspect of their giving, that were free-will offerings. Now, if you go to Exodus, because we're going to see that this free-will offering, as the Bible calls it, is of an entirely different nature. Exodus 25. And verse 1 to 8 exodus 25 now this was when they were making the tabernacle alright you know the place whereby they will worship God and the country would be governed from the Lord said to Moses speak to the people of Israel that they may take from me an offering from every man whose heart makes him willing and you shall receive the offering for me And this is the offering which you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet stuff, and fine twined linen, goat's head, tanned ram, skins, goat skins, the anointing oil, goes on and on and on. All right? And then he says, this is what you're going to make the tabernacle out of. Now, what we're seeing or oh, the important thing to get about free will offerings is that they are, as their name implies, they are free will offerings. They were totally up to the individual. By definition, they were not compulsory. And also, there was never ever any set percentage. And you'll notice in verse 2 that they make for me an offering from every man whose heart makes him willing go to exodus 35 verse 4 then moses said to the congregation this is the thing which the lord has commanded take from among you an offering to the lord whoever is of a generous heart let him bring the lord's offering gold silver bronze blue and purple etc etc can you see the key thing there being that whoever is of a generous heart. And if you go down to verse 10, let every able man among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. So this free will offering, it was money or goods, but it was more than that. It was that people gave their time and used their talents to do practical service as well. But again, notice whoever is of a generous heart. And then, in chapter 36, verse 2, and this is something that you don't hear much about today. And Moses called Bezalel and Oholiab and every man in who every able man in whose mind the Lord had put ability everyone whose heart stirred him up to come and do the work and they received from Moses all the free will offering which the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary they still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the able men who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came each from the task he was doing and said to Moses the people bring more than enough for doing the work which the Lord has commanded us to do so Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp let neither man nor woman do anything more for the offering of the sanctuary and here God's people are being so generous that Moses says stop it's all right we've got enough now stop giving how many churches do you know might do something like this I mean they're always on the make Always on the grab, aren't they? But you see here, once they had everything that was needed at that moment, Moses actually said, stop. Don't give any more. But can you see the principle that we're establishing here is that tithing, because it was taxed, was mandatory, but these free will offerings were absolutely up to individuals. It was purely down to them to decide if they gave and if they gave how much they would give. If you go to Malachi, there's some verses there which um we really must deal with the book of Malachi towards the end of the Old Testament you'll probably recognize the um, verses I'm going to read because all these uh, you know all these American evangelists are always asking for money this is one you know the kind of you give me money and God will give you more back you know this is always kind of one of the verses that they home in on and, and, and not just them but you know more ordinary churches do as well Malachi 3 verses 6 to 10 now listen to this He says, and this is God speaking to them through a prophet, he says, For I the Lord do not change, therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. So God's saying, now you're being real naughty boys at the moment, he says, but I don't change, I'm loving and merciful, therefore you haven't had it. Alright? And he says, look, from the days of your fathers you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Now remember, this is God speaking to Israel. Alright? But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing thee? In your tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. So these guys get up there and they say, You know, sort of bring the full tithes into the storehouse. That means you give a tenth of everything you've got to the preacher, all right? And then therefore they say, saying, God's going to bless you, you know, and the windows of heaven are going to be open. Now, we've got to understand exactly what is happening here and what God is saying to Israel. Now, can you see, look, God is saying, you are robbing me. That's his complaint against Israel, all right? And he says they're robbing him because they weren't paying their tithes and that they weren't paying their offerings. Now what we've got here is this, tithes were Israel's tax. Tax is mandatory. Now at the time of Malachi, God's people are being so selfish, they're being so stingy, they're being so tight, that they're not even paying their taxes, let alone giving free will offerings to the Lord on top. Now this is the judgment that's coming upon them. But I want you to notice that when God says, do it, and commands that they start, go down into verse 10, he says, bring the full tithes into the storehouse. God doesn't command that they bring the full tithes and the full offerings into the house. How can you? You can't command someone to give a free will offering, can you? Because it's not a free will offering anymore. Here, can you see, God says you're robbing me because you're not paying your tithes or giving free will offerings. You're that tight, all right? But then when he gives the commandment of that which they must do in order for the judgment to end, God says bring the full tithes not bring the offerings you cannot command free will offerings or they're not free will offerings anymore so here god is saying look pay your taxes or else and that is the context of this passage all right so here again we're simply seeing that god demands tithes which is tax for israel but he doesn't demand free will offering at all how can you it's not free will offering otherwise Right, so what we've got to move on to now, is we've seen before the law, we've seen the teaching of the Bible to Israel under the law, but now the third period, and this is what relates to us, we've got to ask ourselves, so what about the church? What about us? Because remember, we're Gentiles. We are not under the law. The Old Testament law was a covenant that God struck up with Israel. It was a legal binding between God and Israel. It applies to the Jews. It doesn't apply to us. And in precisely the same way that my insurance, I mean house insurance or car insurance, that is nothing to do with you whatsoever. Can you see? It's my name on the policy, and it's my insurer's name. It's something between me and them. You just don't enter into it in the same way that I don't enter into your insurance. And in the same way, the law of Moses on Israel is not binding on us in any way at all we're Gentiles so what we've got to do is we've got to ask right therefore what is God's requirements of us as believers in the church alright and that what we are going to see is this the teaching in the New Testament on the church is that giving is free-will offering only, it is never, ever tithing. And in fact, tithing is only mentioned four times in the entire New Testament. Alright. Let's have a quick look at where they are mentioned. Alright, if you go firstly to Matthew. Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23. And remember only four times is tithing mentioned and it's jesus speaking he says woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you tithe mint and dylan come in and have neglected the weighty matters of the law now firstly this is jesus speaking to israel you see tithing was mandatory on israel it's not on us but the point that jesus is making he's calling the pharisees hypocrites and he says you tithe mint and dill dylan you, you know and all this sort of stuff and the picture is that these these Pharisees because they were so righteous of course they paid their tithes of course they paid their taxes godly people don't you know sort of uh, dodge their taxes and the picture is that these guys they'd have their little herb gardens and when they picked their herbs they kind of they chop all the herbs up into tiny little amounts they'd be counting out each little bit they were that righteous that all that they were going to tithe that precisely And yet Jesus says, you're doing all that. He says, but you're not bothering to have mercy. You're not bothering to pay people with justice. Can you see Jesus is saying you're hypocrites because you're just doing it all external. There's no justice in what you're doing at all. And that exact phrase of Jesus is repeated in Luke 18, which is the second mention. We won't bother to look at that. uh, Sorry, in Luke 11. Now, the third one is in Luke 18. If you just turn to it. Luke 18, I'm homing in. You know, you've got to remember, many churches teach that, you teach, that you've got a tithe. See? Well, this is the question we're dealing with. Luke 18, verse 12, again, this is Jesus saying a parable, and this is about a, a Pharisee who was self-righteous and a tax collector, all right, who, who, who was, you know, sort of considered by the Jews to be, you know, less than human, all right? And that... What you've got is quite simply this. You've got the Pharisee, he says, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all I get. And here's this Pharisee, sort of, you know, saying all the reasons why he's worthy to know God. And there's the tax collector who beat his breast because he knew he was a sinner. And of course, Jesus said it's the tax collector who was justified before God, not the Pharisee. But here, the Pharisee quite simply says, I give tithes of all I get. He says, I pay my taxes as if this was a source of great righteousness for him. So then, there are the three mentions in the Gospels about tithing. Now if you go to Hebrews 7, we're gonna have a look at the only other place where tithing is mentioned, and we're back to this guy Melchizedek, who we met earlier, all right. And in Hebrews, What you've got, we're going to be looking at a few verses in chapter 7, but just to give you the setting, in the book of Hebrews, from chapter 4, verse 14 onwards, uh, in fact, to to, um, the end of chapter 10, the writer is dealing with the subject of priesthood. Alright? And the reason he's doing it is this. Because Jesus came as our great High Priest. But you see, the thing was that Israel had a problem with that. And the problem they had is that a lot of Jews thought we cannot accept Jesus as being a priest, therefore he can't be the Messiah, because Messiah has got to be a priest, Jesus isn't a priest. And the reason for their confusion was simply this, because under the law... From the time of Moses onwards, the only recognized priesthood in Israel was the Levitical priesthood, i.e. you could only be a priest if you were born of the tribe of Levi. So that under the law, priesthood was to do with your genealogy. It was to do with who your mum and dad were. You were, if you like, born eligible for a priest. And if you weren't born eligible for a priest, there was nothing you could do to become a priest. You had to be of the tribe of Levi in order to be a priest under the law. So that therefore, the Jews, their hang-up with Jesus is that Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. And they were saying, how can Jesus be a great high priest to us when he's not even a Levite? Now the writer to the the Hebrews is dealing, he's writing to Jews who have got converted, they've become Christians, but they're confused about these things. And the letter to the Hebrews is the writer straightening them all out in their mind. And the the way that he demonstrates that the priesthood of Jesus was a okay and that a Jew could afford to accept it was this you see the thing was that priesthood took different forms now it's true that under the law which God gave to Moses under the law in order to be a priest you had to be born of the tribe of Levi but of course God was working in his people Israel long before the law was actually given so that under the law priesthood depended on who your mum and dad were now the writer to the Hebrews reminds them about Melchizedek and what he says, look, Melchizedek way back in Abraham's time, because remember Abraham was the first Jew, and the writer saying Melchizedek way back in the time of Abraham, he acknowledged Melchizedek as being a priest chosen by God. So, therefore, the point is that that because Abraham, the founder of Israel, acknowledged the priesthood of Melchizedek, who wasn't a Jew, because at that time there was only one Jew, Abraham himself, what the writer is saying is that, therefore, there is genuine priesthood outside of the Levitical priesthood, outside of the law and what he does is he says can't you see that Abraham the father of Israel acknowledged the priesthood of Melchizedek therefore why is there any problem in accepting the priesthood of Jesus even though he wasn't a Levite because remember the priesthood that existed under the law was merely one type of priesthood there was another greater priesthood that existed the priesthood of jesus himself and melchizedek was there in the old testament to foreshadow the coming of jesus melchizedek was a type of the priesthood which Jesus himself would bring with him let's just read some of these verses because what we're going to see here is quite simply that when Abraham gave a tenth to Melchizedek that was Abraham's way of acknowledging that Melchizedek was a genuine priest and the writer to the Hebrews is simply establishing the point that Abraham realized That there was a priesthood that was quite valid that was nothing to do with the levites and the priesthood of jesus is not like the levites it's like the priesthood of melchizedek so therefore the writer is demonstrating that it's not against the old testament the idea of jesus being a priest but not being a levite the very idea of a priesthood outside of the Levites was there in Melchizedek and of course remember everything in the Old Testament anyway was simply to foreshadow Jesus and of course now Jesus has come as a priest we are all priests every believer is a priest because we can all mediate between God and man we can all introduce someone to Jesus so let's just read through some verses first of all verse 2 it was verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. Now, there is Abraham giving the tithe to Melchizedek. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem. Salem was what Jerusalem was called before it became Israel's capital city, you see. He is without father or mother or genealogy, expressing the point that Melchizedek's priesthood didn't depend on who his mum and dad was. It depended simply on the fact that God said he was a a, a priest. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great he is, Abraham the patriarch gave him a tithe of the spoils. So all the writer is doing, he's saying, look, Jesus is a priest like Melchizedek was. Not dependent on being a Levite or anything like that, but simply ordained by God. And he's saying, it's not a contradiction for Jews to acknowledge the priesthood of Jesus even though he wasn't a Levite because Abraham the first Jew acknowledged the priesthood of Melchizedek who wasn't even a Jew he was a Gentile and the way in which Abraham acknowledged the priesthood of Melchizedek was by offering him a tenth of everything he had it's as simple as that so again this last this fourth and last mention of tithing in the New Testament is nothing to do with saying that the the Christians have got to tithe it's merely establishing that the priesthood of Melchizedek which was the same type of priesthood that Jesus had was valid And that Abraham recognized it and expressed his acceptance of it by offering him a tenth of everything he had. So that therefore we can see quite clearly that in the New Testament there is no mention of tithing for the church whatsoever. It is always, without fail, um, free will offering. Alright. So, no tithing for us. Alright. No tithing for us as Christians. But having said that, is there any compulsory giving that we have to do? I mean, does this just mean that every penny is ours and we don't have to give anything at all? Is there any mandatory giving that applies to us? Well, the answer is yes, there is. So if you go to Romans 13, and we'll see precisely what this mandatory giving is. Romans 13, I'm going to read verse 1 first, and then verse 6 and 7. Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Now, this is how we know that we must be obedient to the law of our land, alright? And then in verse 6, for the same reason, you must also pay taxes. For the authorities, are ministers of God, attending to this very thing, pay all of them their dues, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honour to whom honour is due. Like Israel, with her tithing, we must pay our taxes to the government. Can you see? This makes sense. If you want to say Christians tithe, well yeah, you tithing when you pay your taxes because in Israel tithing was the tax system so therefore we can see very clearly that tax evasion is a sin tax evasion is a sin we must we are morally and legally bound to pay all of our taxes and to not in any way at all be on the fiddle this also means that no Christian must ever, for instance, abuse the benefit system. There are many, many people who claim benefits they're not legally entitled to. No Christian must do that. We must be above reproach in these matters. Alright? And let me say something else, because... Uh, In regards to this, I've had certain Christians, heard certain Christians say that, for instance, there are some grounds upon which they would withhold a portion of their taxes or a portion of their rates. For instance, some Christians say uh, that nuclear weapons are so immoral that you must work out what proportion of your tax goes towards nuclear weapons and then withhold it. You mustn't pay it. Likewise, Christians who sort of live under loony left councils, they say, well, I mean, some of the money I'm paying on my rates is going to, you know, it's sort of being used to promote homosexuality and things like this. I'm going to withhold my rates, they say. Now, we must fully understand that we must not do that. It is absolutely wrong. We must pay our taxes. We are accountable to God to pay our taxes and to pay our rates. The government is accountable to God for what they do with that money and remember when Paul wrote to Christians and said pay your taxes there's no question here of, but you can hold a little bit back on the grounds of conscience he says pay your taxes he's writing this to Christians who are in the Roman Empire being ruled by Rome that was one of the most immoral governments that has ever been known Now, can you see, Rome, the Roman Empire, was far worse than anything we've got, far worse than any government we could have, far worse than any loony-left council. But the rule is, Paul says, pay your taxes. It's like with the poll tax that's coming up. Now, I would be the first to say the poll tax on the rates... This community charge, as they call it, it is an immoral tax, of course it is, but nevertheless it must be paid. Because we are not responsible for what the government does. We are responsible to God to obey the law and pay our taxes and rates. The government will answer to God for how they organize that. So there must be no tax dodging, no holding it back, no matter how noble it sounds. You know, none of this, well, I'm I'm not paying my government to build nuclear weapons and stuff like that. I'm sorry, the Bible doesn't allow it. You know, the, 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 you know, again, the Bible just isn't that spiritual. It says, pay your taxes, and that's the end of the matter. Pay your taxes and pay your rights. Okay. So then, we've seen that tithing is tax, therefore we must pay our tax. But the money, as it were, that is made available to the Lord's service, this is free will offering. And just in case there's anyone here who still thinks, no, but Christians must tithe. They must tithe. Alright, if you want to insist, I mean I've shown you that the Bible doesn't teach that, but if you really want to insist that Christians t- should tithe, then do it properly. It's 23 and a third percent if you tithe in goods, alright, but it's 25 and a third percent if you tithe in money. So let's not have any of this, I, I, I'm a good Christian, I tithe, I give a tenth, because tithing biblically is more like around 23-25 percent, so do it properly if you really want. To um, you know, if you really want to, you know, sort of uh, have that rule, but also there's something else. If Christian giving, and we're talking now this thing about free will offerings, all right. We're talking now not about the taxes which we have to pay and our social contributions. We're talking about money that is made available for the Lord's work to be distributed however the Lord wants. And let me say that if free will offering or say our giving, in that respect, was a flat rate, ten percent, then let me say that I think that for many, many Christians, that would be far too little. It would be quite tight. But for other Christians, who are pretty badly off financially, it would be too much for them to expect. I mean, you see, if you've got people who are rich, and there's nothing wrong with being rich, nothing at all, they're, they're rich Christians. But if rich Christians are giving a tenth, that's pathetic. Can you see how stupid this notion of a flat 10% is? And in the same way that when you've got sort of people who are barely being able to make ends meet, legitimately, they're just not paid very much, for them to struggle to give a tenth would possibly be far too much. So we've got to get this whole thing out of our head about the 10% so let's see very quickly and I'm gonna start winding up and I'm gonna just introduce now what our talk next week is going to carry on and work out in more detail but if you just turn to 2 Corinthians 9 let's just have a look very quickly uh, a couple of examples where the new testament where paul teaches about giving and let's ask ourselves is it tithing or is it free will offering and if you go to 2 corinthians chapter 9 and we'll start reading from verse 1 2 corinthians chapter 9 verse 1 paul says it's superfluous for me to write to you about the offering for the saints For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Archaea has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Alright, now go down into verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren to go on to you before me and arrange in advance for this gift you have promised, so that it may be ready not as an exaction, but as a willing gift. The point is this. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that you may always have enough of everything, and may provide in abundance for any good works. Go down to verse 11. You will be enriched in every way for great generations, Generosity, which through us will produce thanksgivings to God for the rendering of this service not only supplies the wants of the Saints but also overflows in many thanksgivings to God now let me ask you is that freewill offering or is that tithing look verse 8 uh, verse 5 he says for this gift you have promised so that it may be ready not as an exaction but as a willing gift This is money that believers have freely given of their own free will. Let's just go through, um, you know, sort of verse 7. Because notice there is no set percentage. There is no you must give. It's free will offering and you decide how much. Look at verse 7. Each one must do as he has made up his mind. You see, it's up to you. And as we're going to see, you're free to be generous or you're free to be tight you will be blessed accordingly it's as simple as that look everyone must do as he has made up his mind it's entirely free will now look at this not reluctantly paul says not under compulsion but do it cheerfully now this is quite interesting this word reluctantly in the greek eklupis and it means out of sorrow all right now I go to the dentist, ek lupis. Because ek lupis means to do something because you sort of have got to do it not because you want to do it because you've got to do it therefore if you're in pain if you've got a toothache you don't want to go to the dentist and have an injection and have him grobbling around in your mouth pulling a tooth out you don't want that but you do it because you can't bear the pain anymore now that is what loop is reluctantly you're doing it not because you want to it's a real pain but you've got no choice and Paul says look do not give money like that, all right? If you're giving money like you're going to the dentist, well, keep it, all right? You know, God, God doesn't want money given like that. He says, right, so you mustn't give it, reluctantly, but he said, you mustn't give it under compulsion. And this word under compulsion, ananke, and it means to be constrained, or it means to be made to do something. It means doing something because you've been put under pressure. And here, Paul says, there must be no giving to the church because you've been put under pressure. Because if someone gives having been put under pressure, they've been coerced and it's not a free will offering anymore. Therefore, I mean, for instance, when you get people, leaders, are calling for money and pressuring you to give money, that's all wrong. Because it completely annuls the idea of it being given freely and willingly because somebody wants to. Can you see also that if it's wrong to give under, compulsory, uh, under compulsion, that automatically makes tithing wrong? and there are churches that you have to tithe, that is completely wrong tithing is compulsory, free will offering can never be compulsory because it is free will offering, it is completely up to you and then finally Paul says don't give like that not reluctantly, not under pressure, he says if you're giving like that keep it we don't want your money he says rather with a cheerful heart, he says God loves a cheerful giver. And this word cheerful, the Greek word is hilaros. And it's the word we get hilarity from. It's literally, God loves a hilarious giver. The idea that rather than someone giving grimacing in pain, like he's got to go to the dentist and have a tooth out, or rather than someone giving grimacing in pain because emotionally speaking their arm has been twisted, you know, and they're under (laughs) pressure, he says rather than do it grimacing for whatever reason, he says do it laughing. Do it laughing because you want to, because it's a joy to do it. And the word hilaros in the Greek, it comes from the noun hilius, which means willingly, or to be glad, or to be joyful. And so what we're seeing is that when it comes to us giving money to the Lord, whatever form it takes, and we'll be going into that in, in much greater detail next time, we're seeing that if... Christian giving is not joyous and willing then quite simply the Lord doesn't want that money If it makes you so unhappy to part with it God would rather you be happy and keep it God doesn't want miserable children all right, so the point is this and this is what we're establishing in Christian giving Christians do not give because they have to There's no question, Christians are not meant to give because they have to. Christians are meant to give because they want to, because they know the Lord wants them to, and because it makes them happy, and it is entirely up to them. Now, there may be some of you thinking, Beresford, what about 1 Corinthians 16 verse 1? I'd better deal with this, alright? Go to 1 Corinthians 16 verse 1, alright? Because I'm saying that in the early church there was no compulsory giving. I mean, obviously, there's compulsory giving to your government. You must pay your taxes and rates and national insurance, etc. But 1 Corinthians 16 verse 1, Paul says... Now, concerning the contribution of the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that contributions need not be made when I come. People say, Beresford, compulsory giving. Paul the Apostle is saying that the first day of every week, every Sunday, we want your tenth in the plate, you see? You know, and you've got to do it and you're sinning if you're not. Well, I agree, it might look like that at first. If you just go back to chapter 7 verse 1, the key to understanding Corinthians. Paul says this, he says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote. 1 Corinthians was written because Paul had received a letter from the Corinthians. And in this letter, they had asked him lots of questions. What do we do about this? What do we do about that? What are we supposed to do here? What are we supposed to do there? We don't understand. I mean, for instance, they'd asked about marriage. They, they were saying, Paul, is it good to get married or bad? Uh, they were sort of saying, uh, you know, Paul, what about the spiritual gifts? You know, I mean, what about them? How do we minister them? Uh, they're saying, uh, is it all right for us to marry unbelievers? Uh, they're saying, uh, you know, I'm married to an unbeliever. Uh, am I free to divorce them? And Paul is writing 1 Corinthians, and he's taking each point that they raised, and he's answering them systematically. And in 1 Corinthians 16, what he is doing is merely this. When the Corinthians wrote to him, they said, we want to give money to these other churches that are at the moment in need. And all Paul is doing is he's writing to them and he's simply directing them how to practically carry out a promise they made of their own free will. So this is not Paul saying, you've got to give, we're taking collections, you've got to give. They had written to Paul saying, we want to give, Paul wrote back and he says, look, set aside the money, all right, as you can, each each week so that when I come we're not taking collections he says have it ready that will be easier and you see there's no way this can be tithing because he says store it up as he may prosper so again it's according to ability it's not flat rate or anything like that at all so then therefore we're seeing there's no tithing it's voluntary just quickly go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 sorry Acts chapter 4 We're winding up now, right at the end, in Acts chapter 4, and in verse 32, we read this, Now the company of those who believe were of one heart and soul, and no one said any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had everything in common verse 34 there was not a needy person among them for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles feet and distribution was made to each as any had need joseph who was surnamed, surnamed barnabas uh, sold a field which belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles feet now people think you know that when you get converted you've got to sell everything you've got and take it to the apostles now what we've got to understand is this in chapter five you have this story about Ananias and Sapphira and it was really weird because God really dealt with these two severely in fact God took them home all right he killed them they went to heaven the sin unto death as we've seen in other studies here and the reason was that what happened was is that they sold a field all right and they gave a proportion to the Apostles and kept the rest for themselves but they told the Apostles that they had given all the money that they got from the sale of that field all right so the reason that Ananias and Sapphira were dealt with so severely is that they were being dishonest they lied about how much they gave now if you look at verse 4 Alright, look at what, uh, now we'll start with verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? And what Peter is saying, look, Ananias, you didn't have to sell your field. You didn't have to. And he said, even when you did, you didn't have to give it all to us. You could have kept back whatever you liked. But he said, the reason that God's going to judge you so badly is because you've lied about it. But can you see, this kind of selling land and bringing the money and giving it to the apostles and it being distributed amongst the poor, this isn't because the, early, the Christians had to, they were doing it because they wanted to. The, you know I mean? the apostles weren't teaching this. They weren't saying you've got to do it. The people just spontaneously came and did it. It wasn't mandatory in any way at all. They were doing it simply because they were so determined to be generous to the Lord and to be a blessing to other people, seeing as the riches of salvation that God has given them. So then, therefore, we have seen this tithing in the Bible relates to tax it is mandatory on us in in so much as it is paying tax we must pay our taxes but tithing is not the rule for Christian giving the rule for Christian giving in the church is strictly free will offering alright now then next time what we're going to do is this we've established that the rule for us not that we must give we don't have to give at all but that if we love the Lord we ought to give so next time what we're gonna see is that we're gonna turn to the Bible and for those Christians who do want to give we're going to see the advice and the teaching that the Bible gives how we ought to do it. I mean, not that we're going to be seeing that the Bible says you've got to give so much, nothing like that at all, but we're going to be looking at things like, uh, you know, under what circumstances ought one to give if you want to, where should you give, I mean, how the whole thing ought to be done, and so we'll turn to that next time, and we're going to be seeing what the Bible says, all right, we don't have to give, but if we want to, what does the Bible actually practically advise us to do, and so we'll continue with that next time.